0: Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got my co-host, Darcy. How you doing,
1: Darcy? <laughs> That's me. Hey, I'm We haven't good. talked in a while. Um, I am. I know. It's been a minute. Uh, you were in Florida. I moved into another house. I'm, I'm still in Birmingham. Is that your house? Yeah. Well, I didn't buy it. It's my mom's house that I'm living in. Oh, okay. So, but yeah. I was like, so ooh la I'm la. struck out on my own once again. Nice. Um, yeah, so it's good. I'm not in a one-bedroom apartment apartment anymore, which is amazing. And Dahlia so, must really like it, too. I have a little bit She's actually space. not here yet, so we're still oh. working. She's still, My dad's still keeping her for me, but very, very soon. I miss my puppy. I want my puppy back. My dad's like, you can just leave her here. I'm like, absolutely not. I miss my dog. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, um, we got some news for the listeners. We should be having some merch coming out what, soon what? In, the, in the new year, so keep an eye out for that. We will talk about it a little bit on Instagram and ship, give some freebies out. So stay tuned for that. We'll give you all the heads up when that is happening, but we're just looking at designs and stuff now. So we're really excited to have the opportunity to share
1: that with you guys. Yeah, for sure.
0: And today's episode, I just want to give a trigger warning because it's We're going to deal with domestic violence. We're going to deal with some really sensitive topics that sometimes can really create a lot of emotion and anger and anxiety and fear and all kinds of other things in people. And we just want to give you a warning that if you have sort of a sensitivity to that, then you might not want to listen to this episode. We're going to talk first and foremost about the case of Maya Mercano. And I think this case is particularly interesting because it's kind of juxtaposed next to the Gabby Petito case. And I know that there has been a lot of drama in the news recently because Gabby's case did get so much more attention than a lot of Mm -hmm. the other missing women of color that ended up going missing around the same time that Gabby did. Mm -hmm. And that's a separate phenomenon that we're going to talk about just in a little bit, but This young woman, Maya, was a 19-year-old who was uh, found dead in Florida a few weeks back. So officials shared new horrifying details in the case of 19-year-old Maya Mercano, revealing she was found bound at her hands and feet with duct tape. Mm. Um, The body was found October the 2nd in a wooded area near the Timberscan apartment complex in Orlando, Florida, which I was just there, and this was all over the news there. Yeah. Um, she was positively identified on Tuesday, and the chief medical examiner for Orange and uh, is it Osceola? Os-
1: yeah, I don't Osceola.
0: Know. Osceola counties told the news um, that it was her indeed. Um, she was a student at Valencia College and had been missing for over a week when her body was found. Um, she was last seen at the Arden Villas apartment complex in Orlando, where she lived around September twenty-fourth. The Orange County sheriff. Uh, Deputy, excuse me, Orange County Sheriff John Mina shared an update on the case Wednesday, which was a few weeks back, saying that she was found bound with black duct tape on her feet and hands, and her mouth was also covered in black duct tape, which makes it extremely hard to breathe. Mm -hmm. But she was found wearing jeans, bra, and a robe. Her purse was found nearby containing the shirt she was last seen wearing. Um, The police reiterated that Armando Caballero, 27, is the person responsible for her death and officials are not looking for any other suspects. Caballero was a maintenance worker at Arden Villas who was found dead September 27th, three days after Mercano disappeared from an an apparent suicide. Authorities previously said that Caballero had expressed romantic interest in this young woman, but she rebuffed his advances. He also possessed a key fob to access apartments and had used this at Mercano's unit just before her disappearance. There's no indication that there was any sexual assault and the cause and manner of death are yet to be determined by the medical examiner's office. Officials believe that Caballero was waiting for her inside her apartment on September 24th. He later killed her and hid her body at the area of the other Orlando apartment complex. Based off information police have so far, officials are still trying to determine if she left her apartment alive and whether this was a planned attack. Police announced the discovery of the body a few weeks back. But they said that they were led to the timber scan apartments based on Caballero's cell phone records that showed he was there the day that Mercano went missing, around 8.20 p.m. to 8.40 p.m. Mm. And Caballero had once lived in the timber scan apartments. The investigation is still ongoing. But this case I found really, really disturbing because this is just an average, normal young woman going Mm -hmm. to college. She did not live a high-risk lifestyle. And this creeper sought her out, mm-hmm. had keys to her apartment, let himself in, and lie in wait for her and murdered her. And yeah. it was just
1: incredible. And, I mean, literally, we just talked about how I just moved out of, out of an apartment, and it's so creepy and weird and scary to think about the fact that, like, the people, like, the, you know the property owners or the management office and the maintenance, they all have keys to just get into your apartment because you sign a lease at the beginning saying like they can come in and do pest control and they can come in and do your air filter. And like, yeah, you know, if you have a dog, which I do, they send you a message and they're like, Hey, can you make sure your dog is put away? So like they tell you when they're coming in, but like, that's not always that. I mean, that's not always the case. Like that's, that's with a reputable management company, you know what I mean? So like just the fact that anybody it's, I mean, it's so scary that, like, just this this poor young girl just had a stalker that, you know, just for some reason keyed in on her. And he just decided that he was going to attack her because, I mean, who knows why? And and I, if I'm remembering correctly, they found his body before they found her, correct? I think that's the case. Yeah. But
0: this case is so disturbing to me because you can plan, plan, plan. You can get into your apartment. You can put the double lock on yeah. the door. You can do all kinds of things to protect yourself. But if somebody is already in there, yeah. lying in wait for you, and you are not expecting it, there's not a whole lot you can do. Yeah. Except fight with your life. Fight with yeah. everything you have in you when it happens. But this just uh, very, very disturbing. I understand that the maintenance worker had a criminal record. I believe there's a lawsuit going on right now. Um, they're suing because this man was allowed access to right. the criminal record. There should have been some sort of a background check or something. Yeah. And then there's also some um, controversy here because the sheriff's deputies investigating this put out a heavily redacted report um, about really? the case. And they're like, why is this? so redacted. Like, what are they trying to
1: hide? Especially in Florida, because they have the Sunshine Law, so where you do find out so much information.
0: Yeah. And the family is basically saying that the deputies did not react quickly when she vanished, that they were like, oh, you know, it's a college student. Mm -hmm. And this is a typical thing with police in in many areas, where they're like, "Okay, it's a young woman. She's in college. She's probably just out partying. Mm -hmm. She'll be back, that kind of a thing. Just sort of a dismissal of the seriousness And the severity of the circumstances when we have seen time and time again, so many young women are ended up missing and murdered and no one has given them the proper respect and due time to work on their case because they just write it off as a runaway or whatever the case may be. But it's um, a very, very sad case. Such a beautiful young woman with so much potential. Um, I think they've started a trust fund or some sort of a foundation in her name, which is wonderful thing Mm -hmm. to do, given the crazy, just insanity and horror of this case. Um, but just a very, very sad case and the man is dead. So it's not like there's going to be a court case going forward. I know that they will complete an investigation and try to determine what happened to this young woman, but it's, it's frightening.
1: I have not heard a real motive like we'll never know why no
0: he took the chicken way out and killed himself because he didn't want to deal with the consequences of his crappy actions and it makes me even more mad that you can look up this poor woman's name and you will find nothing on her. There's no podcast about her. There's no 2020 episodes about her. There's no 48 hours mystery about her. Maybe there will be. Let's hope there will be. Yeah. But I think given the fact that the young man that killed her committed suicide and the fact that she's a woman of color has made that much more unlikely. Right. I agree.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um,
0: And then, you know, the, the comparing this and contrasting it to the Gabby Petito case and These are two young women with lots of potential who were beautiful, who were by all accounts just normal women living their lives, and both of them ended up dead in a very similar manner. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about Gabby Petito, but do you want to kind of talk a little bit about that phenomena first and kind of let the reader, I mean, we've talked about it in the past, but I think it's kind of important to kind of highlight and reiterate that again.
1: Yeah, so we've discussed this before. We've definitely used the term missing white woman syndrome before. And basically what, you know, you've probably heard about it, but if you haven't, basically it just means that the focus of news coverage tends to skew toward young white women, typically from more privileged or affluent backgrounds, as opposed to more diverse cases, be it either of women of color, be it um men be a transgender be it non-binary whatever the case it's typically the missing white woman that get get the get the, the the news um the the news stories um and I, we were actually talking about this so i looked it up um and this actually started like the phenomenon the naming of the phenomenon um actually came pretty late it wasn't until 2004 that apparently news anchor gwen ifill is credited with with using the phrase the first time and it kind of came about with the case that we've covered with the Lacey peterson case and there was another woman who went uh, missing around the same time named evelyn hernandez she was hispanic and her case got considerable considerably less coverage and then what happened shortly after that is a case that we've not talked about but from the birmingham area in 2005 natalie holloway went missing in aruba And if you recall, I certainly do because I was in Auburn and and it was literally on the news every single day because she was from Birmingham. Comparing that to the news coverage that a young woman named LaToya Figueroa, who was pregnant and she was black-Hispanic, that what the news coverage that she barely got when she was when she went missing. She went missing in 2005, and she was year. pregnant, right? So those yeah. two lives lost, yeah. and she got so much less coverage than
0: Little Miss Natalie Holloway. Yeah, and, no I disrespect mean, to Natalie Holloway or her case, but the thing is, there should be equal coverage for both because there are families on both sides of that mm-hmm. who are devastated by this loss. Just because she's a woman of color doesn't mean that her family, friends, and loved ones are any less sad or right. devastated by her departure from this earth
1: and we we did talk about this too in the missing and murdered children of atlanta story with the wayne williams case and how so few of those cases got attention until the numbers were i mean you know five six seven black children went missing before anybody took notice of it and that's the same thing you know that's been that was in the 80s so um You know and there's there's been studies and this is true for you know both children and adults that that african-american missing children cases are significantly underrepresented compared to national statistics as opposed to how many go missing versus the news coverage that they get and one of like the common i guess counter arguments that people make is like well there's less information to talk about in those cases but that's completely absurd because it's, that information is not sought out. That's the issue. And that's what we need to, to bring attention to is yeah. that the information is not sought out. When Gabby Petito went missing, people were taking videos of bald white men that looked a little bit like Brian Laundrie and saying, oh, we think we found him in Canada. Oh, we think we found him here in, in you know, in Wyoming or wherever. And it's like, you know, he's just an average white man that people are taking pictures of and it wasn't him obviously we know that now but just like but it's the attention that that is given to this phenomenon that we've discussed on the show before and we've tried to make a concerted effort to cover more cases involving persons of color and young men and things like that as opposed to just sticking with the quote-unquote popular news stories of the white woman syndrome
0: And I think some of that is sort of um, directed by the amount of clicks, the amount Mm -hmm. of viewership, that sort of thing when it comes to these cases, because they want the higher viewership. And so they're going to run the stories that they think are going to get that higher viewership. So you as a consumer can control that by clicking on the stories about the women of color, about the children of color, um, rather than just going straight to the stories about the cute little blonde girl. We can can help control
1: that. And it's cyclical, right? Because the, the stories that get the clicks are the ones that are more promoted. So the ones that are more promoted are the ones that get the most clicks. And so, like, it's exactly right. Like, continue to read about these stories that get less attention and drive that 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 you know internet economy or whatever it is, you know to, to bring attention to these cases. Yeah. And demand from your,
0: you know, TV stations, mm-hmm. from your listening providers, ask them to cover more of these cases. And yeah. they will, because yeah. they do what the listeners and the viewers want. Mm-hmm. And it, that it directs everything. So mm-hmm. if we demand that, they will do it. But we have to do it as a concerted effort with a large group of people. Otherwise, it isn't going to do anything. Right.
1: Thing. Right.
0: So. Um, And just, I want to talk a little bit about the Gabby Petito case, not because I feel like Gabby's case is super important as a cute little white girl, but rather because it's very, it highlights a very, very important issue relating to domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And let me just kind of, we'll kind of briefly touch on this case for a moment so that you can kind of understand what I'm talking about here. But this broke wide open a few weeks back when a manhunt for Gabby Petito's fiance got underway after she disappeared. The couple had been traversing the country in a van when Landry reappeared home without Gabby and then disappeared himself without any explanation. Mm -hmm. So the police immediately started searching Florida swamplands for some sign of Brian Landry, but the FBI issued an arrest warrant for him not long after that. Um, Because he had used Gabby's bank card around the time of her disappearance. So they issued an arrest warrant based on that so they could hold him. Mm -hmm. But they were never able to bring him into custody. But this particular arrest would allow them to also swoop in and grab any family members or friends who attempted to help him Mm -hmm. while he was trying to escape detection. But Gabby's body was discovered in the National Forest in Wyoming, and this case was splashed across the news headlines even more when they found this poor young woman's body. But she was just 22 years old when she died. She had been born on Long Island in New York and had a terrific sense of adventure from a very young age. She knew for a long time that she wanted to take this cross-country trip, and her fiancé, Brian, was known to be sweet, charismatic and friendly gabby made tiktok videos and instagram and built a wonderful friendship with brian before moving to florida to be closer to this man he went to high school with her and that's how they met Mm -hmm. each other so grew up kind of with her on long island and then he went to pursue adventures in florida and she ended up following him and the two got together and Developed this serious relationship. They moved in shortly after Gabby came to Florida, and they, interestingly enough, I believe they moved in with his family mm-hmm. in July 2020. So this is right about the time that the pandemic was here, and they're building this relationship in the middle of the pandemic, which either works really well for people or works really right. badly. Um, but they
1: also got tattoos to commemorate their love. Never do that. And sorry, yeah, it's, never do that. <laughs> I have nine <laughs> tattoos. Don't get a tattoo for anybody else except no, for a pe- no. persons in your family.
0: But friends say that around this time that Brian had began to exhibit some toxic traits, which is, you know, they'd only been together for a pretty short time mm-hmm. when he's exhibiting these traits, which is not a good sign. He seems manipulative and controlling. He steals Gabby's ID when she doesn't want to go out. Oh, excuse me. He steals Gabby's ID when she wants to go out and he doesn't want her to go out. Mm. And makes it known that he doesn't want her to go anywhere without him. Um, And he only wants her to go places that he wants her to go. So Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty telling that he's doing these little, you know,
1: manipulative kind of things to sort of control her. And she moved down to Florida from New York. So she's isolated from her support group now. Yep. Yeah.
0: And the two prepared for a cross-country road trip in a converted van and this was a long time you know kind of dream of Gabby's and i think Brian just kind of went along for the ride because he didn't want to leave her by herself he wanted to be with her 24/7 right. and was sort of trying to be supportive but maybe in a more manipulative way than mm-hmm. maybe we thought but their tr- their problems seemed to fade into the distance during this time and in the meantime Gabby is basically Working at Taco Bell and Brian is working at Publix Supermarket, which is a big chain in Florida. Yeah, um, it's in the south I don't know. In general. It's in the south. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the both of them are trying to save up for this trip, but they're they got this van converted and they're super excited about going. And Gabby is bringing Brian along for the thrill of it, and he just seems to be. He doesn't seem super excited about it. He doesn't really speak that much, but Mm -hmm. she kind of posts these little videos and he's in the background and he's like, you know, thumbs up. Yay. I'm so excited to go, but it doesn't really look super genuine to me. Um, But they bought this van with their hard earned cash and converted it to allow them to live in the van as they spent four months crossing the country. They planned on working on organic farms and having these adventures where they would film themselves for social media. And kind of van life was their thing. Yeah. And social media was like super big on this sort of a lifestyle that they were trying to promote. There were a lot of people that were supporting them and following them and following their journey. And they left July 2nd, 2021. Um, And Gabby is basically just giving these constant updates, showing how happy and chipper she is. I mean, she seems like this very positive, upbeat young Mm -hmm. woman. And... She's got this type of bubbling, outgoing personality traits that most of us antisocial people are very jealous of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would definitely consider myself a little antisocial at times, and she's super bubbly and outgoing. Um, Brian, in, the, and in contrast, is mostly quiet. He's basically kissing his fiancée and sort of remaining in the background. Yeah. Um, but there was more to this situation going on behind the scenes. The trip was six weeks in when August 12th in Utah it took a very dark turn. This was about four weeks before uh, Gabby disappeared. It was about 4:45 p.m. and the police pull over a van when they see it hit a curb and it's been driving very erratically. So they kind of follow it, watch it hit a curb, and pull it over. Mm-hmm. Inside is Gabby and Brian, and. At the same time, there was a night well, not the same time, but around that same time, there was a 911 call reported um, Brian hitting Gabby in some sort of a physical altercation. But not long after, the police pulled the van over after noticing that erratic driving. They're also at the Arches National Park. It's gorgeous. A beautiful, beautiful place. Moab is amazing. This is in Utah, and the white van is pulled over. Gabby refuses to say that Brian hit her. Mm hmm. Which is instead, really she, yeah, yeah. She, instead, she rambles on and blames herself, saying, "You know, I've been mean. I've been bad. I did all this stuff. Blah blah blah. It's my fault," which just is horrifying. Yeah. She evidently she says that he locked her out of the van and told her to calm down, which just, ugh. Yeah. And basically, he claims that Gabby was the abuser, that she scratched his face mm-hmm. and arms in her attempts to regain entry into the van, which really? He locks her out of a van. They're thousands of yeah. miles away from home. The van is their home and yeah. he locks her out in the middle of, you know, some national park, yeah. which I would be afraid too. Like 100%. I would be like, let me back in. Like I would be understandably upset, Yeah, but the police had kind of an interesting reaction to all this. And he says he just pushed her away angrily, the fiance, Brian, mm-hmm. right? The police kind of eat it up the whole interchange was filmed on body cam. And although there were two witnesses that collaborated Brian's abusive behavior, police don't do anything. In fact, they determined that Gabby is the aggressor and they get ready to arrest her. Then they determine that they don't have an arrest. They don't have to arrest her. If she didn't intend to harm him, which just blows my yeah. mind. Like what kind of policy creates
1: this kind of just bonkers yeah.
0: like Do they just, like, not of, have
1: negligence in Utah?
0: I don't know. Um, it, it sounds so crazy that she slapped him, and this is the aggressor. hmm But they let the two go after they separated them. Gabby remains with a van while Brian gets to go to a hotel, arranged by the police because they believe he was the victim of domestic violence, not Gabby. <sighs> Um, when the calls in the body cam were released, the public and family were understandably horrified and they claimed the police officers missed some very classic signs of domestic Mm -hmm. violence. They allowed references to Gabby as crazy and they allowed Gabby to take the blame for everything, Mm -hmm. even though she was kind of showing some pretty, um, dramatically evident scenes that domestic violence survivors exhibit. Yeah. Yeah. But authorities say the police in this case did the best they could with the information that they had at the time and that no policies were breached.
1: Look, so I want to, I want to briefly get into that because, yes, I see how they can say that, have that response. They have to have that response yes. to avoid a lawsuit, basically. Well, yes, but I in, in terms of how they can justify having that response, I see how they can justify having that response because— they get to the scene and they're not seeing any physical violence. They're not seeing evidence of physical violence. They're just re- responding to witness reports and then they're hearing what the people involved have to say. So the best thing they can do in that situation is to separate them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To then, like you said, then to continue to allow the verbal explanations and the verbal signs to... They those are signs of abuse that they absolutely missed. They yeah. should have at least called in another resource. I don't know if maybe they don't have resources in Moab for this, but that it. I understand the separation. I can agree with. I I understand it was wrong to treat Brian as the victim and leave Gabby with the van. It was wrong for them to set up a hotel room for them. They should have just like made sure they were separated, and that was kind of it. No,
0: they didn't set up for them. They set it up for Brian. That's what I mean. They Sorry, yes. yeah. for him. Yes and I, that's <laughs> but on the flip side i can also understand the position of the police these days police are expected to act as counselors medical professionals well, mental health professionals and they yeah. don't have the training yeah. to determine a lot of this stuff and they should but how much of it are we going to pay for how how are they supposed to get all this training and still do their jobs and it's just it's an incredible kind of Confusing, sort of. Well, we get them that training anger by inducing. providing yeah. them the
1: resources because we stop buying them effing tanks to invade the streets of the cities. But that's another conversation. To but be yeah, had. yeah.
0: I mean, it definitely there need to be some major changes in how police work with victims of domestic violence. And if they're not the victims ones of who- color. That sort of thing. Yeah, obviously, if, obviously, they need some major changes in policy and yeah. training.
1: And, and, but, and if they're not the ones that are, you know, supposed to counsel or, you know, what have you, they need to be provided with the resources that they can call in. Somebody that they can call in to assist with 100%. this.
0: 100%. I agree.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we've
0: got that out. Yeah. I think, I don't think anyone's disagreeing with that. Um, then August 19th, 2021, Gabby posts a video showing their progress. This is about a week after the recorded altercation between the two. Mm -hmm. They looked cheerful and normal. Okay. Just part of that cycle. Yep. Gabby then tells her mother later that day that they were leaving Utah and heading towards Wyoming. They want to go to the Grand
1: Teton National Park, which another just absolutely stunning sight. I've never been there. My dad has been there. He's climbed one of the mountains, but, um. Yeah, but I've never been there. Just very,
0: very beautiful. She talks to her mom on the phone and says she's very excited and happy. And I don't think she conveyed at all the earlier yeah. drama yeah. with Brian. Then August 25th, Gabby posts an Instagram uh, pictures, a bunch of pictures with her in front of a mural in Ogden, Utah. I think it's a pretty popular mural with the wings mm-hmm. and the the whole thing. A lot of Instagram influencers use it to take pictures, and it's it's cool. I think it's a little overplayed, but she did that. And this was her final Instagram post. Then August 25th, 26th, about 30 miles from the Grand Tetons in Idaho, witnesses saw Gabby and Brian together ordering mm-hmm. some sort of food or drinks or something like, think a milkshake or something like that. And they were called Gabby because of some conversations and kind of, un- she was a little bit unusual. Um, but Brian's behavior seemed odd to them. And the two were witnessed together. And they said that Brian sort of prompted Gabby to mention their engagement. And this was sort of awkward because it didn't really fit into the conversation. So it kind of appeared to them that he was sort of this background piece that was maybe a little bit jealous of her Mm -hmm. ability to garner attention on the internet and wanted people to make sure to remember that he was part of it too, that he was her Mm -hmm. fiancé, she wasn't single, and that sort of a thing, which, again, is very kind of controlling and manipulative in the background. Um, Then August 27th, a text message is sent to Gabby's mom. The message prompted Gabby's mother to help Stan, who was Gabby's grandfather, this was really odd because Gabby never called her grandfather Stan. So this text was a little bit concerning to Gabby's family. Do we know what that text then said? Then August 29th... No, just said that um, I need you to go check on Stan. He's been calling and texting and, and I haven't been able to answer my okay. phone. The service is really bad in the parks, okay. blah, that kind of a thing. Which, you know, I don't think is a, an extremely you know, unique or troublesome text, but the fact that right. she had so frequently talked about her grandfather right. and never once called him Stan. And now all of a sudden she's saying Stan yeah. is troubling to them, which I understand completely. Then August 29th, a couple picks up Brian Landry around five 30 in the grand Tetons national park in Wyoming. He's alone. He offers them around $200 to give him a ride. And they thought it was weird because he claims to have been camping out for two days without Gabby. I I don't think they knew who he was, but he claimed, you know, he, his fiance had been with him and she's working on their social media pages back in the van. And he's like, I just needed to get away for a little bit, you know, tries to make it sound casual, but they're like, this is kind of weird. Why would he be out camping by himself when these mm-hmm. two are together out here doing this. So it seemed a little odd to them, but they dropped Brian off at around 6:09 PM on August 29th, 2021, August 30th. Gabby's mom receives another text from her daughter's phone, but refuses to disclose what it said, um, on the advice from authorities
1: mm-hmm. because the
0: investigation is still ongoing. Some said it simply said that there was no phone service in Yosemite, okay. which is where they were heading. So, September 1st, 2021, Brian arrives home back in Northport, Florida without Gabby. He's in the van. No Gabby. Okay. Gabby's family knows none of this. They only know that they hadn't heard from Gabby in days and her cell phone had
1: stopped working. And her social media has gone quiet.
0: Fridays? Yeah. Yes. Which is very, mm-hmm. very unusual and troubling to them, which. I would be troubled too. Friday, September 10th, Gabby's family calls police to file a missing person's report. And at this time you get that usual reaction. She's an adult. She's traveling, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't file a report. She'll turn up and they insist. And September 11th, a report is filed and Gabby is officially declared a missing person family and friends tracked the couple through social media and created search parties in Mm -hmm. areas they knew the couple had been. So this was like this massive movement of people that had been following them on social media and had kind of been, they're like true crime people and they're seeing this all play out on the news and they look back on her social media and they determined we're going to go search Mm -hmm. these areas. She's got to be somewhere out there, which cool. Right. Um, although I don't know, they might create more harm than good like if they do find a crime scene they're probably yeah. trampled through it maybe not understand the intricacies of yeah. what needs to happen at a crime scene so that would make me a
1: little bit cautious but but on the one hand before you know a crime has been committed the the first objective is to just find the person and provide them medical service if they need it
0: yeah and i think there was some hope and a lot of kind of expectation right. that gabby would be found alive I don't think they would necessarily anticipating Mm -hmm. any kind of foul play. But Monday, September 13th, news media takes over and blasts the story. And all the carriers are kind of copying Mm -hmm. and pasting the same story, and people are getting very concerned. A Find Gabby page was created for tips on Gabby's whereabouts, and people seem to connect with Gabby, and her followers are heading out on their own cars Mm -hmm. and vans to search for her. Um, In the meantime, Brian and his family refuse to talk to anyone, And refer the police to their attorney, which
1: is never a good sign. Like, I understand it. I am tempted to do the same thing. Like, even if I've done nothing wrong, I'm going to get an attorney because I don't know how to talk to the media. I don't know how to talk to the authorities. You know, but at the same time, it does look suspicious.
0: Yeah. It looks really bad. But police take the van... And search it for any evidence of foul play and they immediately declare brian a person of interest mm-hmm. in the disappearance of gabby petito gabby's family is begging for answers during all this time then september 17th this is a friday the landry family says that brian had left for a hike and they had no idea where he was supposedly at <sighs> this part just really bothers me Why would you let your son go off by himself, take off and go on this random hike out in the middle of the wilderness when all of this is going on? Number one, if he is such a concerned and loving boyfriend or fiancé or whatever the hell he was, he should be out looking for her. He should be making a statement to the media. He should look and act like he he should. Not go running around for a hike. Did
1: his parents ever come forward with the story of why he came home alone or what he says he came home alone? Okay. Nope. Nope.
0: And supposedly he was at the Carlton Reserve and he had left three days earlier by the time they came out with this information. Yeah, so they gave see. him plenty of time to run. It just yeah. really bothers me. You know your son is guilty as hell. He comes home without his fiance in their van and she's disappearing and you think well, your son is
1: innocent? Even if... Come even, on. Even if you want to believe your son you can't wait three days before he doesn't return to call the police when he's already been just, named a person I'm of interest. I'm blown away. Like, he's already been named. By the just absolute insane. Yeah. It's, this is insane. Yeah. Like, this is absolutely insane. This isn't like, insane. oh, we're waiting to if see They would how allow it that. Out. No. He has been named a person of interest in her disappearance. They knew her. She lived with them. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you just, be a little bit more concerned? Days. I just, I'm baffled by that. Yeah. Um, men's. They wait three days. I'm sensitive to, to believe Ugh. that they helped him in some way.
0: Yeah, I do too. But police immediately began searching the last known locations for Brian Landry. Um, a local, the local police and the family begin scanning the area. So they go out pretending, oh, we had no idea where he was, and mm-hmm. automatically stumble across his remains. Like, calm the F on. Seriously? This is a 24,000-acre park in near Sarasota, Florida, and they had 50 officers and FBI agents participating in this while the protesters are gathering outside the Landry home. And onlookers are calling out um, media disparities for how they treat missing persons during mm-hmm. this whole thing as well, which we spoke about that a little bit earlier. But, like, really? So there's this is a 24,000-acre park. The police and FBI... 50 police and FBI agents. And the family just happens to stumble across him first. Well, and they knew where he was. They the, knew where
1: he was. The way it shakes out is weird too because Tuesday night they call the police and they say hey we think we're going we're to go to this area on Wednesday where we think he might be and they say cool but we'll meet you there they meet him there and then 30 minutes later they find remains I I don't know I I just I have very very serious doubts about that not yes. only that but it's
0: a matter of days and his body's fully decomposed so, yeah, they said
1: it was skeletal remains. That part I can't explain. So the area where he was found had prior had previously been underwater. Yes. And where it is, it's very hot, it's very humid, and it is swampy. Was there. There's all kinds of animals. I was literally like 20 miles from yeah. where they found his body. Yeah. Um, so it's the conditions and the time of year, because yes, I understand that it is September, October, but it is still... Yeah, but unless an animal got to his body and ate it,
0: there's well, no way it, he's going to be a skeleton that fast. I
1: do think that happened, but he was also underwater, which accelerates the decomposition process so of soft tissues. So he drowned himself? Like, no, they haven't, they haven't been able to determine a cause of death. But I'm saying I'm in terms in of how, he, how his body became skeletal, being underwater does accelerate the decomposition process of soft tissues. And then there's... Alligators and there's snakes and there's all kinds of animals and critters that probably did get to his remains.
0: Yeah, well, eight days after being reported missing, Gabby's body was found in -hmm. northwestern Wyoming in the Spread Eagle camping area inside the Grand Tetons National Park. So this was September 19th, 2021. They found Gabby, Mm -hmm. right? So that had prompted that manhunt, that nationwide manhunt for Brian Landry. The remains were verified as Gabby's, and a homicide was declared the case, excuse me, and homicide was declared the cause of death. Um, coroner believes that her body had been out there for three to four weeks, mm-hmm.
1: and which again, he, he had interesting. Another, he had another press conference where he said that the manner of death was strangulation. She was manually yes. strangled.
0: Yes, and I was going to get to that. Oh, but sorry um gabby's fiance brian's remains are found next october 20th not long after police confirmed it was gabby's 23 year old fiance the month-long search for him was over police found a water damaged notebook nearby and are attempting to restore the contents because they believe it may be some kind of a journey a journal or a diary Mm, yeah um along with the decomposed body and there was a backpack a notebook and a dry bag so I don't know if he was anticipating getting into the water and drowning himself. I, it, it's all very perplexing to me. Yeah, but, I, I mean,
1: you don't take a dry bag unless you're anticipating being around water in some point. But I don't know... I don't know necessarily. But, I mean, it's Florida, and he's in a national sure. park in Florida, and there's freaking water everywhere. So a- absolutely. So I think just been it, it's been taking
0: realistic. It. And he sounds like he was an outdoorsy kind of a guy who understood living outdoors, camping, those right. of, sorts of things. So he would have been prepared,
1: and he lived in Florida already, so mm-hmm. he knew about it. He knew how to prepare himself. Well, and I, I mean, I kind of want to just, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious how we feel about this, but I, I want to say, like, I don't think he left to go on this quote unquote hiking trip, not thinking he was going to die by suicide. I think that was the intent of the hiking yeah. trip. I think you he know, told so his parents
0: I, or either that or he, they knew just kind of by instinctive sure. sort of the, they knew. Yeah. I think they knew whether he told them or whether they kind of had to guess. I think they knew Right. Like, yeah, pe- people that, that. Can, that murder somebody, they don't act in the way that this young man acted and, not have somebody notice mm-hmm. i mean even the people that picked him up and gave him a ride said his behavior was weird and shady and it's Although, one of those things where grain of all... salt with that because yeah. they knew this was after the fact that they came forward with right. this information so they could have just been trying to garner media attention
1: for themselves so take it with a grain of salt yeah and you always look for things in hindsight. Oh, was this yes. weird behavior? Oh, yes. and and you know maybe he was off-putting at the time, but it, they didn't. They just thought you know, hey, it's a random guy alone in a national park in Wyoming. This guy's probably going to be weird anyway. Like I would kind of, you know, think that if I just saw a random yeah. person, I wouldn't pick them up. But you know, I'm right. not outdoorsy. I'm a city mouse. So.
0: Yeah. Well, autopsy reports came in later that said Gabby died of strangulation, like you just said, mm-hmm. and Brian's have come back as inconclusive. Mm-hmm which is interesting. Um, Police searched Brian Landry's home also, and his parents, um, they took that he shared with his parents, Mm -hmm. sorry. Um, They took his computer and his car, but it appears that none of this will matter, as it is unlikely any prosecution will occur, because this man is dead. Mm -hmm. But the parents could potentially face charges themselves if they can prove that um, they knew anything about foul play or anything of that nature. Right. that could be difficult,
1: but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there may be some charges against parents. So I have a couple things about that. So one, this is a Newsweek article. It's like one of those live feed things, so like it's constantly updating.
0: Mm-hmm. And I sent
1: this article to or this this link to you last week. Um, and there's one little snippet in here. Newsweek talked to a former FBI agent who is now a defense attorney in the state of Florida, and he believes. With obviously, he has no direct knowledge, but he believes that. The parents likely took a deal, and that was how they were able to find his remains so quickly. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. And that I, I mean, mean that, com- that makes complete sense. I totally get that. The other thing, I, and I have a lot of questions for you about, and I don't know if you can answer what, it, because it's pretty vague. But the family attorney for the Laundries has admitted to having multiple privileged conversations with Brian before he went missing. Not surprising. Yes. And he's also said he it's a family friend. He's friends with Brian's father. And he said that he has spoken with the parents, Chris and Roberta, at least twice a day for the past two months. But he had not physically seen Brian after following his return to Florida on September one. But he has spoken to him at least twice. And now I have questions about let's talk about what makes a conversation privileged and if there are any circumstances for where the attorney would have to come forward
0: okay so a privileged conversation is essentially any conversation you're having with your attorney in the course of being hired as an attorney okay like if you're not hired as an attorney and you just randomly talk to an attorney that's not necessarily attorney-client privilege but if you've been retained as an attorney Mm -hmm. and you have a conversation with the client it could be considered privilege regardless of what is said Yes. And that's the same thing with like a clergy person, a doctor, those sorts of things. If you've been retained. So if you're talking to some priest and we had this come up in a case earlier, Mm -hmm. she was having the case of Michelle Lay, Mm -hmm. where the priest just kind of heard her having a conversation or kind of had a random conversation with her out in a courtyard. They weren't in a, in a church, they weren't in a confessional Mm -hmm. and that was not privileged. Right. So you pretty much, there has to be intent that you are, getting the services of this person, that you are either hiring them or that you have gone into a church and intend to have um, a confessional with a priest.
1: So are attorneys mandatory reporters? Because I know my father is a therapist. If there is imminent
0: danger yeah. of death or serious bodily harm, I do believe that the attorney can notify the authorities. So, but if it's something that's already happened, then that's, yes. it's
1: too late. So if Brian says to this guy, I'm going to go into the woods and I'm just going to kill myself, does he have to come forward with that or is that privileged? I doubt very much that he had gone to the
0: attorney and told him that because okay. if that was the case, the attorney probably would have come forward okay. and said something. Um, but I do believe that the attorney was probably in the knowledge of the information that Brian Landry he had killed this young woman. Yeah. But if he had gone to the attorney and said, I have her somewhere and she's still alive... Then he would have the um, responsibility to go forward and try to help them find this young woman, okay, which is why so he, I do not believe is, he said anything um, because he was a pri- this was a privileged conversation, yeah. attorney-client, and he had told them that he had murdered this young woman and where the body was or whatever. Yeah, and he, he has no obligation to come forward with that information at that time
1: because of attorney-client. Privilege. Okay, I got you. Because you know, therapists and physicians and teachers and all these these are mandatory reporters, so. If there is a threat of imminent harm,
0: danger, death, etc, or abuse of a child, right? Um, or an elderly person, I think that is included as well. Okay, then they have an obligation or a duty to come forward um, and provide information.
1: Okay, so that's interesting. I guess I'm just, first of all, thank you that that does clear a lot of things up because I did have a lot of questions about that. But secondly, I'm kind of confused as to why the attorney attorney like, came out and said, yes, I've had privileged conversations with him. Like, why even say it? Like, why even know. come forward?
0: You know what I mean? Maybe he wants his 15 minutes of fame, too.
1: Well, he's a Florida attorney. Isn't that what they ought to want? Sorry. No it fault. just seems, it seems shady. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's very shady. Um,
0: I think the reason why this case is so disturbing to me is just because of the domestic violence um, elements to it. And I wonder if he had displayed any of that kind of behavior in front of his parents, because it appears that he had lived with Gabby with his Mm -hmm. parents in their home in Florida. Right. Um, And oftentimes in situations like that, you see little red flags and don't necessarily um, anticipate that, some, a full-blown domestic violence kind of a situation yeah. is going to happen. But they
1: had to have known that their son was a little off. Or, and I want to be very careful because I don't want to make any ac- accusations. I don't know anything. I, well, I made the ac- accusation. I think they helped Brian get away. But was this, was this behavior that was already modeled in his home? Perhaps. You know? And the
0: thing is, it's my understanding that there were mental health issues be- with both young people, both Brian and Gabby. Okay. So you throw that into the situation. You put these two in a van mm-hmm. on a cross-country road trip together in a tiny little space with mental health issues. Right. And this is a powder keg ready to explore. Exe- like, this is, is
1: not like three
0: days This Disaster waiting to months. happen. Four months yeah. in a yeah. van together. Like even healthy, average, non-mental health couples would have an extremely stressful time in that kind of a situation, yeah. in that small of a space. Yeah. So... Uh, it's not surprising that an incident happened, but for it to come to murder, like I just, I'm baffled that it would have come to that sort right. of a situation. But then I'm reminded of all the little facts about domestic violence. And I want to kind of touch on some of yeah. these in the United States, more than 10 million adults experience domestic violence annually. That's a lot of freaking mm-hmm. people.
1: And I'm surprised, honestly, I bet that number's low because of, how reporting yeah some people a lot of people don't report
0: because they're embarrassed they're you know they don't want their friends and family to Mm -hmm. know so they won't report so i think that you know that's just a fraction of the number of actual cases that are happening but and then there's that factor that it typically takes an abused person up to seven times on average to leave an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. they will try and try and try and try until that seventh time when something actually clicks and they're able to leave. But Mm -hmm. abusers are often manipulative. They're gaslighting. They are coercive. They'll do, you know, apologize. Oh, it's never going to happen again. We'll get counseling. They'll do anything they can to rope you back in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of abused persons, and I'm not going to say women because there are plenty of men that are abused as well, but this, the abused person will be roped back into this situation and come back in and sometimes
1: they won't get to that seventh time because yes. of domestic violence. Well, and, and they say like the most dangerous part of any of ending in your relationship is right after you break up. Yes. And and the other thing about abuse and abusers is that they often are in control of the other person's life. They isolate the person, like Gabby moving to Florida. So, you know, she's taken away from her. Friends and her family and her support group, they, you know, they do things like they control your bank account. They control the money they control. They pay your cell phone bill or they're looking at your cell phone bill. They have all your email account information. They have all this information so that they can control you and keep tabs on you and you feel like you can't leave. So it's very harmful. And we all need to be really careful when we talk about domestic violence to say not to say things like, well, why didn't they just leave? Because yeah. it's never, ever that easy.
0: Around the world, at least one in every three women has been beaten, coerced into sex, or otherwise abused during her lifetime. One in three. Most often, the abuser is a member of her own family. Yeah. Domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women, more than car accidents, muggings, or rapes combined. Up to 10 million children witness some form of domestic violence annually, which is just terrifying Mm -hmm. because these young people then go on to perpetuate that cycle because they learn that that behavior is normal. Yeah. One in five teenage girls who've been in a relationship said a boyfriend threatened violence or self-harm if presented with a breakup. So not only are these women being coerced and manipulated, men as well, but these young people are being coerced and manipulated. Um, but this abuser is threatening to harm themselves mm-hmm. If they get broken up with. So this woman feels, or this man or this young person feels responsible yeah. for the health and well-being of this other person and determines that their own safety and well-being are less important than this other person's, which and is just terrifying. And let's be very clear, that
1: is psychological abuse. It is. It absolutely 100%. is. And you are not responsible for somebody else's actions. Every day on average in the U.S., three
0: women are murdered by husbands or boyfriends. Every day. of women surveyed listed reduced domestic violence and sexual assault as a top concern in their lives. Mm -hmm. 92%. Domestic violence victims lose nearly 8 million days of paid work per year in the U.S. alone, the equivalent of 32,000 full-time jobs. So this is a financial issue. This is a mental issue. This is a society issue. If you think that it only touches certain portions of the population, you are so very wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Based on reports from 10 countries, between 55% and 95% of women who had been physically abused by their partners had never contacted non-government organizations, shelters, or police for help. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge portion of the population that is being abused that is not contacting anybody for help. It's terrifying. And the costs of intimate partner violence in the U.S. alone exceed $5.8 billion per year. I mean, this is a...
1: This is a pandemic. Billion.
0: Yeah. $4.1 billion are directed for medical and healthcare services, while productivity losses account for about $1.8 billion. Mm. And men who as children witness their parents' domestic violence are twice as likely to abuse their own wives than sons of nonviolent parents, which, to your point about Brian Landry, mm-hmm. perhaps that was being exhibited in his own home mm-hmm. as normal behavior. Which is not an excuse for anybody. And this is from domesticviolencestatistics.org. Yeah. But I mean, there's just tons and tons of statistics out there about these sorts of things, and it's terrifying. Domestic violence touches each and every one of us. There yeah. are very, 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 very few of us on this planet that can say that they have never witnessed domestic violence in their own lives or their friends and mm-hmm. family. 100%. And there's also this perception that women who are... are People who are involved in domestic violence are poor, they're ignorant, they're uneducated, they're this, they're that, they're, they're looked down upon. There's all kinds of perceptions related to these victims of domestic violence. Yeah. And I could tell you it's BS. It happens in every segment. And just
1: because you may not see yeah. something in somebody else's home doesn't yeah. mean it's not. It happening. happens in every segment of society. It happens to
0: wealthy people. It happens to poor people. Yep. It's just, uh, there's no way that you can say, It only happens to a certain portion of the population. So if you need help, if you yourself are dealing with this as a situation, please, please, please seek out help. You can do it anonymously. You can do it privately. You can get out. You can survive this sort of thing. We'll post some information in the show notes for the show um, related to where you can call, what kind of assistance can be provided to you if you need that yourself. But Mm -hmm. this case from Gabby Petito just kind of highlights the fact that domestic violence can hide in very unusual ways in the population now. And Mm -hmm. this couple was on social media looking so perfect, so cute, so adorable, so popular, so normal. And this was going on in the background to the point where this young woman lost her life because of this domestic violence. We need to stop this. We need to normalize behavior where people are asking questions. We need to provide the authorities with the training they need to see this, to diagnose it, and to help these young people who are the victims of this abuse get away from their abusers. And we need to help with Mm -hmm. the training, diagnosis, and treatment for people who are abusers as well. Those people need just as much attention, just as much treatment, Just as much psychiatry, medication, whatever they need to fix what's wrong with them, they need it. And we need to find a way to treat those people so they can become productive members of society that do not continue this vicious cycle of abuse. Mm -hmm. So that's my two cents on that. And if you have the time, go find the Maya Marcano case. Go find some of these other young women of color, people of color. Click on their cases. Go find them. Don't go look up Gabby's case that's already been played out. Go find these yeah. young women and men of color and children and look their cases up and give them the clicks they need to get the attention that they deserve and that their families deserve to help either find these missing young people or, mm-hmm. you know, find out what happened to them. Give them the closure that they deserve and they need.
1: Mm-hmm
0: anything else you want to add
1: that's it um I, I, we're going to try and cover some of these cases that we're discussing and talking about that we, that we want to cover soon to bring attention to this issue but but you know you I you guys can go and, and you can do that too on your own but we are going to try and talk about some of these cases here in the absolutely. future absolutely
0: I'm going to make it um my mission to go seek them out and find out the details we may not get as much details mm-hmm. because they may not be covered as heavily in the main news media but We'll find what we can and share it with you guys yeah and uh, please send us an email if you have any questions comments or concerns about this case or any other cases we've talked about if you have questions comments or concerns about just anything we're happy to address those and give you a shout out on the show if you have some new information because sometimes people come along that are more experts on some of these cases than we are and we're happy to
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, take your information if you want to provide that to us social media
1: yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on Instagram. So we will post pictures of the Maya McCono case as well as a couple of pictures of Gabby and, and Brian and the resources for domestic, uh, domestic violence um, hotlines and things like that for you all. Awesome, um, and please join us again next week
0: when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye.
1: Bye, guys.